Uh, turn with me, please, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. verses 13 to 16, and then we're going to look together at verse 13. Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a light nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for giving us the scriptures as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you for your great and precious promises. Thank you for the confidence that we can have in all that you've spoken and in your wisdom in guiding us as our good shepherd. Pray you would use your word tonight to shape our mind and hearts and direct us in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've seen over the last number of weeks in the Beatitudes just how otherworldly the teaching of Jesus is and how countercultural is the life that he calls his disciples to live. He calls us, as we've seen, to humility and meekness, to mourning over sin, a passionate desire for righteousness and for purity and for peace. This lifestyle is so contrary to the way of the world that there are many who will hate and persecute Jesus' disciples simply for living the life that Jesus has called them to. But Jesus prepared them for that in the verses that we looked at last week. And he prepared them by highlighting the blessings that attend the path of obedience. What at first seemed to be a life of difficulty and even pain is shown to be desirable as Jesus highlighted the rewards that accompany this life true comfort, lasting satisfaction, mercy from God and communion with him as our father, and ultimately an eternal inheritance in his kingdom. So when these are taken into consideration, it becomes very clear that the path of faith and obedience is undoubtedly the best decision for any person. And now as we get to verse 13, Jesus shifts his focus. He has told us about the benefit of godly character to the person who themselves embraces it and lives it out. And here in verse 13, he will teach us about the benefit of this obedient person's character to those around them. Not only is this lifestyle described in the Beatitudes the type of life that honors God and reflects his character, and not only is it the type of life that brings the greatest blessing to the one who embraces it, but it is also the type of life that God uses to shape the world and carry out his redeeming purposes in it. So let's read it again together, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So Jesus has gone from the general third person, blessed are thee, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, to now addressing his disciples specifically, you. And he tells them who they are, and more specifically, what role they play in the world, the salt of the earth. Now for us today, our main use for salt on a day-to-day -day basis is for what? Flavor. Flavor, seasoning our food, right? Just We have it on the table at mealtime and we want our steak to be a little saltier, we put some salt on it. But to the disciples listening in Jesus' day, in a day before things like refrigeration that we take for granted today, the most universal and fundamental use of salt was for the preservation of food, and more particularly meat. And that's the imagery that Jesus is drawing on here in this statement. And in so doing, he makes a statement both about his disciples, but also about the world. Raw meat, left to itself, have bacteria that cause it to rot over time. And as that process takes its course, the meat eventually decays and becomes useless. So to fight against that bacteria and its decaying process, salt was used as a preservative. Salt was sprinkled on and rubbed into the pores of the meat, and it would work its way in and disinfect and preserve the meat. So Jesus is making a statement about the world, that if left to itself, it is like a piece of meat that tends toward decay and rot. And this truth is clear, both in history, in the pages of Scripture, but also today in the pages of the newspaper. From the earliest chapters of Scripture, after sin entered into the world, it has led people and societies into moral decay. From the murder of Abel in Genesis chapter 4, to the idolatry that motivated the building of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, to the sexual perversions that filled Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. These are all examples of what happens to a world devoid of God. And that is just in the first 20 chapters of the Bible. The world that God made and declared good has fallen away from Him and has been infected with the bacteria of sin. And that bacteria has worked its way into every sphere of society like a rot-inducing germ on a stake. Greed, envy, corruption, abortion, theft, addiction, adultery, abuse, perversion. These are all evil sins that mark the pages of the Bible in societies that don't know and don't follow God. <clears throat> Think about our society now. We live in a time where these vices and evils have been so widely accepted and celebrated and even in some cases legislated. This is the world we live in, one that every day seems to be coming up with some new way to embrace and enshrine moral evil. We live in a time where what society calls progress is in such obvious and stark opposition to what God calls progress. So what can be done about it? What can stop this process of decay from taking place in our society as God's truth is abandoned and God's ways are mocked? Who can fight back against the corrupting effects of sin in our world? 
Well, look around the room. It's you. It's me. In the, in the Greek, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, it's actually an emphasize. It's you and only you are the salt of the earth. Only Christians have been appointed as God's most fundamental preserving agent in the world. That's what Jesus says here to his disciples. You are the salt of the earth. And as salt penetrates the pores of meat and preserves the food and keeps it from decay, so you and I are to penetrate the pores of society and like salt, counteract the destructive effects of evil. Just as there were judges and prophets in the Old Testament that lived upright lives before God and spoke his truth to a society that had gone astray, so Christians today are to perform that same function. And just as those judges and prophets were mocked and rejected and persecuted for staying faithful to their calling, so will Christians today. That's what Jesus said in the previous verse that Peter preached to us last week. They hated the prophets for their righteous convictions and lives. And people today will do the same. But God's honor was worth it to the prophets. Experiencing shame and rejection by people didn't deter them because they were bringing pleasure and honor to God. They had come to know a God that is so life-giving, so worthy, so satisfying, that mockery from the world didn't hold any weight with them. They had seen the glory of God and no longer wanted or needed the glory of men. Do you feel that way? Does the desire for God's honor and the good of society weigh so heavy in your heart that you're committed to living for Him even when opposition and mockery and persecution may come. Are you committed to shining the light of Christ-like character and biblical truth even when you're in the company of those who see Christ as a foolish myth or his teachings as bigoted or obsolete? Jesus has no plan B. You and I are the salt of the earth. Christians are the most fundamental preserving agent in society. Not governments, not schools, not the media, <clears throat> Christians. To be clear, those institutions are good and have their place of importance in our society and their own respective roles of influence in our culture. But none of them can bring about the result to which Christ in the Sermon on the Mount aims. And what is that result? We read it before. In verse 16, Jesus says that his intended purpose in Christians being the salt of the earth and the light of the world is that people would give glory to our Father in heaven. Governments, schools, the media, none of them can carry out their function in a way that leads people to give glory to our Heavenly Father. Only we can do that. They can govern towards morality and teach what is good and report with integrity, but only we, through our upright lives and sharing of the truth, can bring about the most needed change in society. People turning their hearts to God and giving glory to Him. And yet, there are times in history, 
And I would argue that right now is one of those times where many Christians seem to have abdicated their God-given responsibility to these institutions. I would guess that for most of us, if not all of us, we've become more engaged in the public discussion of politics and public policy and the social climate in this past year. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's good when we as Christians get involved in the affairs of our society. The problem occurs when we, in function, demonstrate the same hope as non-believers in the ability of these institutions to be the salt of the earth. We put our hopes in who is elected into the White House or Parliament Hill. We buy into the idea that the passing of a law will bring us closer to the utopia that the world tells us it will. And we draw our hard lines between political parties and policy proposals rather than in truth and virtue and righteousness. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor in the UK throughout most of the 1900s, and during the Cold War, when there were two political views, Western capitalism and Soviet communism, battling for control in the world, he grieved as he saw the church lose its focus of its mission and become consumed by the political debate. And when preaching this verse, Matthew 5.13, to his church, he said these words, The primary task of the church is to evangelize and to preach the gospel. Look at it like this. If the Christian church today spends most of her time denouncing communism, it seems to me that the main result will be that communists will not, likely, will not be likely to listen to the preaching of the gospel. If the church is always denouncing one particular section of society, she is shutting the evangelistic door to that section. If we take the New Testament view of these matters, we must believe that the communist has a soul to be saved in exactly the same way as everybody else. End of quote. Right now, there is a strong attack in our society on biblical truth and Christian living. But we must be convinced that our battle is not most fundamentally against political or economic or social views, and our most potent weaponry is not our social media accounts or peaceful protests or even our vote. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. We are warring against the corrupting and decaying influence of sin in this world, and we do so with the weaponry that Jesus has armed us with, the Beatitudes. Humility, sorrow over sin, both our own and the world's, meekness, righteousness, mercy, purity, peace, perseverance. These are the things that make us the salt of the earth. These are the things that will lead those we interact with to give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And if our influence can lead them to that end, then we have done the best possible thing for them. But if by influence of the world and Satan, we lose focus of this battlefield and this God-given weaponry, we will mingle our Christian convictions with those put forward by the world. We will dilute the potency of our witness and veil the glory of God that is meant to shine through us. We will lose our saltiness. 
And Jesus here in this verse tells us the outcome of losing our saltiness. He says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Professing Christians who turn away from Christ's prescribed way of influencing the world tend to do so for one of two reasons. Either they believe that they've found a more effective way, or they no longer want to endure the difficulties that attend the path of obedience. And here in this verse, Jesus answers both of those. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? This is a rhetorical question with the obvious answer, it cannot be. Saltiness is what makes salt salt. If its saltiness is removed, it is no longer salt and cannot be made salt again. Trying to preserve food with saltless salt is just as foolish as thinking we can come up with a better plan for blessing society than God has. It is only by union with and obedience to Jesus that a person takes on the role of being the salt of the earth. If we renounce our faith in him, whether explicitly by denouncing him or implicitly by turning from his character and truth that ought to mark us as distinct, then we can search the whole world and all of its religions and philosophies and we will not find a replacement. Our preserving quality in society cannot be accomplished in any other way but in Christ. And to the one who departs from Christ, in order to find an easier path, one filled with less mocking and less opposition, their search also is futile. Jesus says, It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This person, hoping to escape the troubles that come with following Christ and hoping to be more useful to the world by embracing some other tools than the ones that Christ has given, comes to find that they fail at both. They become good for nothing. They are no longer of any use to God since they were made to glorify Him but have left behind the means of doing so and to their surprise will also find that they are of no ultimate good to their fellow man. Like salt, without saltiness, they will be as useless to us as the dust that we walk on in the streets. You, Christian brother and sister, and I have been given the Spirit of God and the weaponry of the Spirit to be God's force for good in this world. Live out the Beatitudes every day and trust in the wisdom of God and watch Him bless the world with it. The world is decaying before our eyes, but you are the salt of the earth. Your Christ-honoring marriage, your parenting that reflects the character of God, your integrity in the workplace, your affirmation and celebration of biblical sexuality, your words that are wholesome and life-giving, your participation in your community as a gracious and loving neighbor, all of your behavior that embodies and commends the beauty of the Beatitudes work towards salting the earth and combating the destructive forces of sin. I'll finish by reading this statement uh, made by a Christian in history who desired to bring his whole life under the direction of Scripture. And so he 
codified scripture's teachings in the form of resolutions. And here's one of the resolutions that he made that I believe uh, conveys well what it means to be the salt of the earth. This is what he said. On the assumption that at any one point in time, there was only one individual in the whole world who could most fully be called a complete Christian in every way, having Christianity always shining in its true brightness and appearing excellent and lovely from whatever part and under whatever character viewed, resolved to act just as I would if I strove with all my might to be that one who should live in my time. If you and I wake up every day and make it our ambition to display the true brightness and excellence and loveliness of the Christian faith and hope in every setting, in every conversation, and with every decision, then we can be sure that we will be the salt of the earth. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for such an honored position that you have given to us in this world as your people. Thank you for empowering us with your spirit and your word to be the salt of the earth. Grant us, Lord, to be faithful and patient, all the while trusting in you your wisdom and your power to accomplish your purposes as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.